Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Big win for temp workers in New Jersey. The plight of Disney World workers in Florida, some living out of their cars. Today on the show, we check in with the United Auto Workers and the IBEW in California. That would be Local 302. Welcome to the Thursday, February 9th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. One of our proud sponsors will be joining us as our first guest. That would be the United Auto Workers, UAW.org, the website. Desiree Hoffman, who serves as Assistant Legislative Affairs Director, will be joining us, and she's going to run down President Biden's State of the Union speech on Tuesday night. Boy, I tell you, many are saying it's one of his best, one of his best. In that speech, he uh, talked about economic justice, or as he somewhat phrases it, restoring the dignity of work. He claimed that he ran for president to make sure the economy works for everyone and build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out. And one of the things he touched on is the PRO Act. He asked Congress to pass the PRO Act so workers have a right to form a union. Well, they do have a right to form a union, but you know all the roadblocks. So Desiree is going to talk about that. And, uh, of course, in the uh, Senate committee that deals with labor issues, Bernie Sanders is there, and he's all for the PRO Act. Problem is, he doesn't have enough senators to carry it through, and certainly not in the House. We'll uh, also talk about no tax breaks for union busting. This is called the Tax Fairness for Workers Act, and this is a piece of legislation that will soon be introduced. So Desiree Hoffman will be touching on that as well. You know, while we're talking about uh, the auto industry, there's certainly some good news for the future. General Motors announced recently they will spend more than $900 million to update four factories The bulk of the money going to an engine plant in Flint, Michigan, which will build the next generation V8 for big pickup trucks and SUVs. That's pretty interesting because all we've been hearing about is EV production, battery production, electric vehicles. And the industry is kind of stuck in the crossroads right now because GM, like other automakers, are facing stricter government fuel economy standards and pollution limits starting next year. New vehicles sold in the U.S. will have to average at least 40 miles per gallon of gasoline in 2026. That's not far away. Right now, it's 28 miles per hour. And then GM has said, They have a goal of selling only electric vehicle passenger cars and trucks by 2035. Now, in the meantime, what they're doing is making the V8 engine more fuel efficient. And that's what's uh, happening because of the money that's being tossed into those four plants. 
Much of the money, as I indicated, is going to Flint, $578 million. They'll build the six-generation small-block V8 that will go into the next round of big pickup trucks and SUVs. That plant employs about 700 people. So um, that influx of money is not going to add jobs, but it's going to keep the jobs. In Defiance, Ohio, a foundry will get $55 million to build a variety of block castings for that new V8. So uh, exciting times for GM workers, no doubt about that. Tom Hansen will be joining us later in the show on behalf of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. This would be Local 302, which is in Northern California, and they stretch all the way to Nevada. And a little background on Tom. Graduated from the apprenticeship program back in 1996. Been a member of the IBEW for over 30 years. Worked in the field as an electrician before coming into the local's office. First as an assistant, then business manager. Uh, He's serving his third term as business manager. We'll talk about the work in Northern California. And one of the things we're really going to get into is... uh, a upgrade and I guess kind of a revamp of the Naval Weapons Station Concord, as they call it. This is a project that uh, was set up by the Navy back in 1942, right after we entered World War II. And it was an annex to the Mare Island shipyard. Well, it's uh, not functional right now. So what they're doing, they put together a 30-year project. We're talking um, 2,300 acres, 16,000 homes, 15 to 16,000 homes with uh, 6 million square feet of commercial space. And here's the best part. It's all covered by a project labor agreement. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Tom is quoted in one of the publications that uh, this is really, really exciting. In fact, he put it, I'll be long gone. And our members will still be working on it. Yeah, a huge investment. And uh, because you got a labor-friendly area there, it's going to be all union. I like that. So uh, Tom Hansen will be our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Unions in the news, making news. This uh, labor update brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. New Jersey's governor, Phil Murphy signed what they call a temporary workers' bill of rights law. This new law will protect some of the state's most vulnerable and exploited workers. Long time coming, in my opinion. I hope more states will follow that lead. The new law will prevent bad actors from exploiting workers by increasing accountability for the temporary staffing industry. It will also empower the Department of Labor, and workforce development with new enforcement tools as well as resources, as well as create a new private right of action for temporary workers to seek a remedy in court. It will also help ensure staffing agencies are legally compliant. So there's a lot of teeth to this law. And uh, it's my understanding the New Jersey State AFL-CIO had a major hand in this, and they got a lot of uh, community allies together to make sure they took it over the finish line. So congratulations to the uh, state AFL-CIO and all the unions that pushed that forward. The organization More Perfect Union 
is reporting on several alarming workers' accounts coming out of Disney World in Florida. Some workers living in their cars, others showering in Disney's facilities. Others report choosing between their own medicine and that of their children, and others are relying on food banks and cannot afford three meals a day. Well, because of this, the workers overwhelmingly rejected a proposed dollar-an-hour wage increase just last week. That happened on Friday night, and we reported on it several days ago. They're pushing for at least $3 an hour. More Perfect Union reports that as housing costs increase, workers are strained, and there is a very good possibility of a strike. Boy, that's going to disrupt Disney World if that happens. Hospital workers at Sharp Grossman Hospital, this is in San Diego, are celebrating after months of organizing have culminated in a successful unionization vote. Workers voted to join SEIU, United Health Workers West, which represents more than 100,000 workers in California. And this follows in the footsteps of three other San Diego health centers, which joined SEIU, United Healthcare Workers, in the past several months alone. With 55% support, the union will represent nurses, nursing assistants, pharmacy techs, and a variety of other practitioners, technologists, and clerks. Now, get this, the hospital is accusing the union of intimidating workers, and they have filed a complaint with the Labor Board on that basis, and it's reported an investigation may follow. But for now, some of the workers are calling the election a big win and looking forward to having a strong voice to ensure safe staffing levels, the best possible care for our patients. Patients first, right? Three people have filed a class action lawsuit against the operator's of that train that derailed Friday night in East Palestine, Ohio, forcing the evacuations of dozens of homes and businesses. They got the order yesterday that it's all safe to go back home. I'm sure some are skeptical right now. But anyway, the suit asked for damages as well as prohibiting the railroad from removing any equipment from the crash site until it can be examined and also asked that the railroad retain all records relating to the train and the spill. We're talking about vinyl chloride. And I'll tell you, the national media picked up on this. That smoke was unbelievable. And it just kept going and going and going. The operator of the train, Norfolk Southern, said that uh, a number of homes and businesses close to the derailment were evacuated. And the complaint said, One of the plaintiffs owns a business nearby. He'd been forced to close, and other claims he suffered injuries due to his exposure to the fumes. A third said she suffered damages because she was forced to evacuate. So, once again, the courts will figure it all out. In what appears to be the first strike in Google history, YouTube subcontractors walked out on Friday to protest the company's return-to-office policy. Cognizant, an alphabet contracting partner, that's Google's parent company, and the YouTube subcontractor's direct employer informed workers of the return-to-work policy in November. The workers are expected to return to the Austin, Texas office this week. Now, a majority of the employees joined the company remotely, and almost a quarter are not Texas-based. The uh, workers are demanding a policy that is fair, 
and of course, flexible. All right, we have to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to check in with Desiree Hoffman on behalf of the United Auto Workers. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get that word union in there. Before we get to a Desiree Hoffman on behalf of the United Auto Workers, got to play a clip from President Biden's State of the Union message on Tuesday night. It's not too often that the President of the United States calls out and does a shout out for a union member. This is a union sister in Cincinnati, Saria Gwyn May, a member of Iron Workers Local 44. She was among the guests invited by the White House to sit with uh, Jill Biden in her viewing box. Let's listen to what uh, the president said on Tuesday night. This law will further unite all of America. Projects like Brent Spent Bridge in Kentucky over the Ohio River, built 60 years ago, badly needed repairs, one of the nation's most congested freight routes, carrying $2 billion worth of freight every single day across the Ohio River. And folks, I've been talking about fixing it for decades. But we're really finally going to get it done. I went there last month with Democrats and Republicans and from both states to deliver a commitment of $1.6 billion for this project. And while I was there, I met a young woman named Sarah, who's here tonight. I don't know where Sarah is. Is she up in the box? I don't know. 
Sarah, how are you? Well, Sarah, for 30 years, for 30 years, I learned, she told me she'd been a proud member of the Iron Workers Local 44, known as... Known as the Cowboys in the Sky. The folks who built, built Cincinnati's skyline. Sarah said she can't wait to be 10 stories above the Ohio River building that new bridge. God bless her. That's pride. And that's what we're also building. We're building back pride. Not too often that the president of the United States would uh, do a shout out for a union member. In this case, Saria Gwyn May. Now, I contacted the business manager at uh, Ironworkers Local 44, and uh, he told us yesterday that she's still in Washington. And when she gets back, we're going to try to get her on the show. How cool would that be to be sitting there in the State of the Union and the president of the United States? Calls your name out. How awesome is that? Let's go to our live line right now. Desiree Hoffman joining us, one of our proud sponsors of the UAW. Now, Desiree, you never had that opportunity, did you? I have not had that opportunity yet. Um, But, you know, we have a couple more years here, so you never know. Um, I might be there. I actually try yeah. to avoid Capitol Hill during a State of the Union because the, the traffic and the motorcades and it's just quite a busy area and you just want to avoid it as much as possible. But if I'm invited, I'm going. There you go. There you go. And, and you have to watch out because some members are not very friendly, as we saw on uh, Tuesday right. night. Oh, that was ridiculous in itself. You would think that they would have a little more honor than that. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that. I want to talk about what the president said. And I'll tell you, many have said that Joe Biden is probably one of the most pro-union presidents we've had since FDR, maybe even more so than FDR. I mean, that's a matter of opinion, obviously. But one of the things that he brought up was the PRO Act. And, uh, you know, with, the, with what happened in the House, many are saying, oh, I don't know about that. What, uh, what's your take on that what, when, when you heard him say that? Well, you know, first of all, I thought he looked really comfortable up there. Um, and he did give a lot of deference to leaders on both sides of the aisle. I personally appreciated the fact that, you know, he recognized the new House Majority um, Leader, um, McCarthy. And, of, of course, he recognized Minority Leader Jeffries, who is the first African-American um, minority leader. And of course, and also Speaker Pelosi, just making sure that he gives her uh, gives a strong nod to her. She's one of the most diplomatic speakers we've ever had and and ever really in our lifetime. Um, But in terms of being the most pro-labor president, uh, UAW did a statement. President Curry issued a statement on the State of the Union. And basically, we did acknowledge that we believe that he is the most pro-union president that we've ever had, and he's lived up to his promises. I think him saying and, and talking about the PRO Act is is very significant. I don't think we've ever seen a president this outright supportive of labor unions, and he called on Congress to, to pass the PRO Act, and he said, you know, employers should not have the right to interfere when workers try to organize a union. That's mm-hmm. significant. And, you know, I really like seeing the iron worker in the room also. And, you know, she stood up proudly and she's doing critical work to clean up, you know, those pipes in our country. You know, she's one of many iron workers cleaning the pipes and making water uh, cleaner for schools and, and communities. 
it's a huge deal. Uh, our infrastructure, like the president said, has been crumbling and aging. And what did he say? We're like 15th in the world in terms of our infrastructure. And I know that others have done scorecards where we're like D minus, D plus. And that that shouldn't be like that. We're one of the most one of the richest countries on earth, and we need to do better. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty incredible. He also mentioned the Lex IBEW, who are are building EV uh, um, charging stations. Mm-hmm. So I was I was pretty proud. Of course, I would have liked the UAW to be mentioned, but look, <laughs> he's mentioning the U, he's mentioning our union brothers and sisters and 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 the Pro Act. So. And many other bills that and laws that um, that we worked on during his State of the Union. I personally like that he talked about pre- prescription drugs, and I know that we've talked about that in the past. And that benefits not only you know union members, but middle, low and middle income families across the country and seniors. Um, seniors will be definitely helped by the Inflation Reduction Act and its provisions to um, make sure that they don't pay more than thirty-five dollars. Every month it's capped, um, you know, and, you know, $2,000 a cap out of pocket for Medicare, which is significant because, you know, seniors make a limited income, um, get limited amount of Social Security. And if they were in a union, perhaps they had defined pensions, but that's slowly disappearing. So um, that was a really great um, accomplishment of this administration so far. If you don't mind, let's get into Social Security and Medicare, because uh, that was an interesting exchange when the Republicans kind of try to shout him down on that. And uh, we, we do have evidence that some Republicans, I know Rick Scott in Florida and I believe Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, they have floated proposals that would sunset programs like Social Security and Medicare. And sunset means like in five years. Uh, they can revisit it or else eliminate it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I thought that was a fascinating exchange, but also a frustrating one because the Republican Study Committee, RSC, um, produced a white paper or a paper that's been floating out there saying that they do believe in cutting Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid. Um, And if you saw... (laughs) I'm sure everyone saw that the president said a couple of times and some thought he was being cheeky, but really he was being very strategic. And he kept saying, apparently we're not going to be making, um, this won't be a problem. We're not going to be making cuts to Medicare and social security. And he said it twice. Uh And that's very significant because he knows what's in the Republican agenda and what they'd like to do. They'd like to dismantle it, sunset it, restructure it. Um, and that's really significant. Um, and someone in the room, who we know who it is, yelled liar. Um, and so when he said that Republicans would like to cut Medicare and Social Security, but we have evidence in those documents recently that they do. And this is a big fight that's going to consume a lot of our time, UAW's time and other organizations who care about the future of Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. These are key entitlement programs. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I should mention, though, is like I would love for Medicaid to be mentioned a bit more than it is. Um, that typically gets shafted behind Medicare and Social Security, and that's dangerous because, you know, Medicaid helps, uh, is, you know, the health insurance program that helps the uninsured, the children, women, people with disabilities, one in five veterans access Medicaid. And then in the long-term care system, you know, folks who end up in long-term care settings that need um, help. 
um, for a variety of reasons. At one time or another, many of our family members may end up there or union members, family members. And then, of course, there's on the home care side, um, there's a lot of union workers who provide home care services. So I think we really need to talk more about Medicaid and not demonize it and not weaponize it. So I would like, you know, the president and others to be talking more about Medicaid. Well, hopefully that'll come in in the months ahead. Let's talk about uh, tax breaks for union busting. And it's my understanding that uh, Bernie Sanders might get involved in this. What's what's the status? So so a company, if they uh, hire union busters and there's many out there, they can write that off right now. Is that is that the case? Right. So, yeah. So one thing I did want to mention to to everyone is that. You know, we're in a new Congress, 118th Congress. Um, and as everyone knows, this, you know, Democrats have a slim majority in the Senate and the House. Now Republicans um, have the majority. But, you know, the other big thing is that all bills that we've worked on previously will need to be reintroduced. So that means that it offers up an opportunity to change the language, make it stronger. Um, and then once these bills are introduced, we need to do the D.C. thing, which is get co-sponsors, get support. Right. So the bills have not been introduced yet, but um, Senator Casey is working on two bills. And one of them is the no tax breaks for union busting. And mm-hmm. basically it would say that it would end the taxpayer subsidi- subsidization of corporate anti-union activities. So the bill would classify business interference and worker organization campaigns as not tax deductible. So that's exactly right. And so we don't want companies to be able to write this off at the end of the year on their tax returns. Uh, it's, it's unfathomable now that they can potentially do this. And so UAW, along with a, a number of unions and other organizations, strongly support this legislation um, and so we will be ramping up and getting co-sponsors on this. I think they're going to be introducing the week of uh, fe- the end of February. Okay. And that's pretty okay. exciting. So that's Senator Casey. I got that mixed up. Casey's in uh, Pennsylvania, correct? That's correct. Yeah. But I, I could see that uh, Chairman Sanders coming on board really quickly. You're absolutely right. He is not shy as the new chairman of the Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee to put uh, companies and their bad behaviors and patterns in check. So like yesterday, I saw an email from the staff saying they're inviting the CEO of Starbucks to testify Uh before the committee and talking about their anti-union activities. So he really wants to shine a bright light on what companies and corporations are doing around this country to send a chilling effect um, to workers and, and wants to better understand what the, the rationale is behind it. Why are yeah. they engaging in these anti-union activities? So pretty exciting to see that. Boy, if that happens, I'll play that whole exchange on America's workforce. That, that, that would be one we all have to listen to. That's good oh, stuff. Oh, Absolutely. All right, Desiree, we're going to have to button it up here. Desiree Hoffman, Assistant Legislative Affairs Director of the United Auto Workers, UAW.org. By the way, uh, next month is Women's History Month. And would you be so inclined to participate? What I'm doing, I'm featuring a lot of female labor leaders. You're in that category because you've done incredible work for the UAW and kind of focus on uh, how you went up the ladder, your history and all that. Would you uh, be willing to do that for us next month? Absolutely. I would look forward to that. 
Okay, let's uh, let's count on that. Desiree Hoffman, Assistant Legislative Affairs Director for the UAW. You take care. We'll talk to you next month, okay? All right, take care. All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to the IBW. That would be a Local 302 in California. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE. CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to the West Coast right now. And joining us on our live line today is Tom Hansen. Tom is a business manager of IBEW Local 302 website, IBEWLU302.com. As I indicated, he served as business manager, graduated from the apprenticeship program back in 1996. And this is a local that goes back to 1928. That makes them going for 95 years. And they span from the Bay, East Bay, to the Delta. And Tom can probably explain what the Delta is all about. Tom Hansen, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, brother? Pretty good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me today. So, so what's the Delta? Help me out on the Delta here. So what the Delta is, it connects San Francisco Bay to basically the Sacramento River. So as the, you know, we got the Sierras there, so the, all the snow melts, runs down through the rivers, and then hits into the Delta and that collects it all up and then dumps it into the San Francisco Bay. So it's tying the mountains to the ocean. Gotcha. I see you also serve as president of the Contra Costa Building Trades and 
president of the California Nevada State Association of Electrical Workers, which is a statewide organization for the IBEW. So you got a lot of hats. I'm sure it keeps you pretty busy. So how many members in uh, in 302 right now, Tom? We've got about 1,400 members in our local right now. And that's pretty steady. Can you get into what kind of work we're talking about over there? So we have uh, across the board, we do residential, single-family homes and residential work. We also do uh, commercial work like hospitals and schools and things like that. And then we have uh, four refineries in our jurisdiction. So we'd have a, about 30% of our man hours come from the refining industry. And then we also have our data people, too, that do uh, low voltage. That's also a division inside the IBW sound, called Sound and Communication. And that's a couple hundred members there of the 14. So residential, talk to me about that, because, uh, you know, traditionally the the locals are in commercial. And uh, I'm bringing this up because I did talk to one local not too long ago about getting into residential, which was big years ago. So uh, how extensive is that in uh, in that part of California, Tom? So we're kind of a, a little bit of anomaly. Back in the 80s, we partnered up with the UA local here in Contra Costa County to hold on to residential. So we put an aggressive program of doing project labor agreements with residential single-family homes. So we've had a little bit of a decline over the last few years because of the downturn with the housing. We're tr- still trying to recover, but we've never given up uh, housing. So it's about 15% of our hours come from housing, single-family housing mostly. We probably have probably... Under PLA that we're looking at, the thousands of homes, like ten to 15,000 homes under project labor agreement that will be built in the future. That's awesome. I was uh, reading about uh, this Naval Weapons Station Concord, NWSC, which apparently, well, it's been around since uh, World War II. U.S. Navy set it up in uh, 1942, shortly after we entered World War II. And I guess what they're they're taking it down now. It's definitely served served its its uh, course over the years. But uh, what are they doing there? They're turning it into like a, a residential commercial complex. And I understand your local is is part of that uh, redevelopment. Yes. Yeah, so they uh, took half of the large part of the base. Army still holds the water side on the delta, but the land side is a huge amount in couple thousand acres has been set aside as open space and there's a couple thousand more that's going to be under uh, completely redone and double the size of Concord basically the city of Concord so we've got a, a project labor agreement the building trades do with the developer and that developer is going through the process with the city to be chosen as the developer for the project so all the work from residential all the way to possibly a college campus will all be covered under a project labor agreement with the Contra Costa building trades. Now, was that difficult to achieve, obviously, with the politics of PLAs today? Yes, it was. So a company called Lennar first was in, and we have great support from the city council. So one of the requirements is the PLA would be on the project when they transferred the land. So Lennar balked it and said they couldn't make it work, so they walked away from the project. So we had that first fight to keep Lennar getting the project without a PLA. Now we have three developers that are up in the Concord First Partners is the one that's been chosen for the ex- uh, exclusive negotiating agreement, and they have a PLA, so does the other two developers. So we've got uh, a project labor agreement with all three, but the one in this looking to try to get the project right now is Concord First Partners, and they were the first one to come to us and sign the agreement, negotiate and sign an agreement for all the work. 
Well, from what I've been gathering here, this is a huge project, and it's going to go out for decades. Well, what kind of manpower are we talking about as far as uh, making this happen, and what stage are we in it right now? So the Navy is – so the manpower is kind of hard to judge because, as you said, it's 30- to 40-year buildup, but it's – in today's dollars is about $6 billion. So it's 15,000 homes plus all the amenities, uh, schools, uh, shopping – possible college campus. So it could probably create, for all the trades, probably can create thousands of careers. But for the IBW, probably hundreds of people will be expand the local by hundreds to build that building, you know, build out for 40 years. Um, the prof, Where we are right now in the process is we are in selecting the developer. The Navy still has a property and they're doing cleanup because there's a lot of environmental disaster out there from years of use. So they're cleaning up the property to get it ready to transfer. And the city is actually in the process of selecting the developer and giving and starting the Navy to transfer land to the developer to start building. So we're probably looking three to five years before any dirt's moved. I have to ask you, how is it dealing with the Navy? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what the developers are doing right now. And I bring that up because we do this show out of northeastern ohio and there's a there's a group of individuals that are trying to create what they call a dry dock in lake erie because they want to do submarine repair and they're having a very difficult time dealing with the navy so i have to ask you what's the process over there on the west coast with the navy do you know anything about that uh, just on the fringes, the city is actually the one that's working with the Navy, and I've heard no real complaints. They've been very patient when uh, the, the city said they would not move forward with Lenar. Navy was perfectly fine with that, and they're giving the city all the time they need to work through the process. The only thing that's slow, and it doesn't really matter, but the, the cleanup has taken a long time. But yeah. since they don't have a developer, it's not really slowing the project down. So the Navy's doing their due diligence to clean, and they've been very patient on transferring the land when the city's ready for it. Gotcha. All right. Well, at least uh, at least it's in the talking stage, and it seems like the the needle's moving in the right direction. And a six billion dollar project, yeah, that that's a lot of jobs. So my next question here: um, What are we looking at for your apprenticeship program, there, Tom? Uh, there's and not only that project. I mean, think about the infrastructure and Jobs Act, uh, inflation reduction. There's so there's a lot of things going on. Because of the good policies coming out of Washington, I could imagine that 302 has got to be capturing some of that and kind of planning for that to, to have a skilled workforce. So where are we right now? So as you say, we're still in the planning stages. We know that our apprenticeship will have to increase dramatically, which is great because, you know, there's a path to the middle class for a lot of young people, you know, that don't want to go to college and don't want to have college debt. So we're probably at least doubling our size of our apprenticeship in the near future, which will be great because more opportunity for everybody. Now, how are you doing with uh, diversity? Because I talked to a, a local in uh, Boston recently. It was 103. They had the most diverse class in their history. And I know there's been a push by NABTU, the National Association of Building Trades, and they're doing a really good job. In fact, they, they've got some new figures on that. When it comes to union versus non-union, the unions are doing a better job in reaching out to the underserved communities. So how are we looking in your area, the Contra Costa area of California, Tom? Actually, no, we're doing quite well. 
Well, I know the building trades, our local building trades did an internal study, and we're like 62% are people of color, minorities, and women that are in the trades, all, all trades. And here, for our apprenticeship classes, you know, we're trying to make sure they reflect the population. The one area that takes a lot of work, and we have a, a lady on staff, a sister on staff, is one of our reps, that really helps out with recruiting women to get into the trades. That's the one area that we constantly work on, trying to find women that are interested in working in the construction industry. That That's the one goal, the big goal that we have, is to expand that a lot. Are you doing anything to help that along, especially when it comes to child care? Because I know that is a huge issue for women that have kids. I mean, you know, think about the work you got to do as an electrician. You got to be ready between six and seven in the morning. Uh, you got school. You got a lot of issues to deal with. How, how are you addressing that? That's that's a tough part. That is one of the tough parts is how to address that problem because you know we're spread out and people. We're going all over the place to go to work. So being able, we have not been able to figure that one out. I know that the White House and the Congress has worked together to try to get some. We've put in for grants for one of our pre-apprenticeships to help with child care in that one. But as far as getting child care, it's, it is one of the sticking points. You know, the single parents, both male and female, and it's a challenge. I, I really feel for them and what they've got to deal with. Not only get to work, but they got to make sure they can find a spot for their child to be. Gotcha. Tom Hansen joining us on our live line. He is business manager of IBEW Local 302, Contra Costa, California, which is in the East Bay of uh, San Francisco. And uh, right now they have about uh, 1,400 brothers and sisters working. We'll continue the conversation right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The the United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong. And fighting for what's right. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the United Labor Agency. They connect people with employment. 216-666-2185. You can find them online at ulagency.org. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. 
Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to uh, the West Coast and rejoin Tom Hansen, business manager of IBEW Local 302 website. You might want to check it out ibewlu302.com they're uh, based in uh, northern california just outside san francisco now tom i was reading earlier about uh, how you got in the trades going back to uh, 1996 what made you go in that direction i forgot to ask you that i usually ask our guests at the beginning of the show to uh, to find out why you particularly chose the IBEW. Did anybody, like, push you in that direction? Did you have relatives in the union or what? Yes, I was working uh, in a grocery store right out of high school and got in my late 20s and realized it's time to really, you know, get a career. So my uncle was uh, in the local and was executive board members. I thought, well, you know, I always admired him and thought what he did was great. So I applied for the apprenticeship and got in. And it's been great. This is, you know, working construction, people don't realize this. if you find the industry, you like the the style of work you like, there's nothing better. You get to work with your hands and think at the same time. So yeah, I really have enjoyed it. And I followed my uncle into the business. Tom, from what I've been picking up from various locals, it seems a lot of people are excited about the traits, mainly the electrical workers, and for good reason. You think about the charging stations, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act is calling for, you know, updated technology. you got solar panels and all that. Um, what does it look like in, uh, in California? And that being said, I know California is a very union-friendly state. I'm sure you've been working. You talked in the first segment about the difficulty of project labor agreements, but what do you see as far as, uh, like, the legislature dealing with issues like that to make sure that the jobs of today and the future go to go to the IBEW. What what's your answer to that? Well, you know, as you, you know, we're very lucky out here in California. It's, you know, some people refer to it as being out here in Disneyland. We have significant challenges, but it's nothing compared to what most of the rest of the country faces. We have a lot of really strong support from the legislature, and. You know, you talk about the green work is coming. Well, we've been doing all of the solar work, the major solar in California under project labor agreements because of the way California is structured to support labor. So there's a lot of hours that come to the Central Valley, the Imperial Valley down south, that hours that would have gone to low-wage workers if it wasn't for the support we get from the legislatures. They're, they have included things called the Skilled and Trained Workforce Requirements and Project. That means that you've had it. 60% of the electricians on the project have to have graduated from an apprenticeship, and all of them have to have the hours, 8,000 hours of training of work to even be on the job. So these are ways that the legislature has been able to put that road out in front of the bus and, and give us the opportunity to get the work. 
I can only imagine how the apprenticeship program has changed since you went in, going back to 1996, when you, with everything that's changed since then. Uh, how has that, or how have you been able to update your apprenticeship programs to prepare for those jobs of the future? You know, in, in many ways, there hasn't been that significant a change. There, there's been tweaks, but electricity is electricity. So we install, like we do the heavy industrial work, and which is very complex work. So our apprentices are trained at a very high level. So transitioning that those skills over to the green economy is, is pretty seamless because a solar panel makes electricity. We just hook it up and make it run because we can do all that heavy industrial work which is really high-end work. So our apprentices are in a very good position because of the training that we have. All right, Tom, let's talk uh, union versus non-union. And I saw this story posted on your website. Again, the website is ibewlu302.com. You might want to check it out. And there's graphs. It's it's very, very detailed. And it's titled The Public Cost of Low-Wage Jobs in California's Construction Industry. And... Uh, the comparison is pretty stark. I, I'm sure you glossed over this. Can you uh, tell us what uh, what the takeaway is here? And, and I, I kind of know the answer, but I want to hear it from you. Go ahead. Well, I guess the takeaway is that cheaper isn't better, that people's lives are involved with this. And when you really invest in middle-class jobs in the construction industry, it pays back the community. It's not a drain on the community where people have to take their children to the county hospital to be treated. And people are not on assistance. That People actually become homeowners and they have a retirement so they can, a pension so they can retire in dignity. They have health care for themselves and their families. So they're, they're actually an asset to the community. Kids go to school ready to learn because they, they're properly fed and they have a stable home. So the low cost of making construction work a poverty level job really affects the, the whole society because it's like the building blocks of society. We build the buildings, but we're also kind of building society with building middle-class jobs in construction. You know, it brings up the misclassification of workers, which is uh, pretty rampant across all the trades. What's what's the status of that in uh, in Northern California, Tom? We have we have the same problem here, where uh, contractors on prevailing wage jobs misclassify people constantly. So we actually have a person we share with our contractors through our LMCC that does compliance for that work. So that's his full-time job is just monitoring job sites and make sure that they're actually people are paid what they're supposed to be paid. But yeah, that's the endless battle, the unscrupulous contractor paying people less than they're supposed to pay them. Yeah, I was reading in the report, misclassification costs state and federal coffers at least, at least $3,000 a year for every worker that is misclassified. And think about what's lost to a Social Security, Medicare, because it, when if they're not being classified properly, those agencies are not getting the money. So everybody, everybody is hurting as a result of that. How, uh, how aggressive is California? You kind of touched on that in your comment, but I know some states, especially some right-to-work states, they kind of they look the other way, it seems. I, I, got, I definitely got that attitude from a couple of the brothers and sisters that we talked about over the years. But I'm just wondering how California is when it comes to being aggressive, going after these people that do this. Yeah, and that, that's one thing that has really been helpful because we had uh, Jerry Brown as governor 
who really set the table, and now our new governor is actually carrying on with the Department of Labor actually having a labor person in there. So Gavin's really done a good job of making sure that people that are in the state government are actually come from the understanding of labor and actually support labor in us doing fighting against misclassification of those things. So yeah, they've they've been far more responsive in the last 10 years than they had in the past. Well, like I said before, you're very lucky that you uh, you have a very good political climate. I was just reading a story recently about the state of Wyoming. They want to ban EV vehicles because, well, they're an oil and gas state. I mean, let's be honest here. And they want they want to protect their industries. But it, it seems like the, it's the other way around in California. You want to do away with fossil fuel cars or gas cars, I should say, diesel and uh, want to go into EV production. It, it's just a, a tale of two different states, and it, it's amazing. How do you feel about that direction going forward, and especially with what I just said about how some states seem to be going backward? It's going to be interesting to see how it works out because you kind of mentioned about the infrastructure. California, you know, doesn't have the infrastructure right now. The IBW uh, outside department is going to have to work very hard to bring that up. But it's going to be interesting to see how we get there. You're probably going to see hydrogen is also that's starting to come in California too. Hydrogen plants turning trash into hydrogen. So we're looking at all the different scenarios that go to go to green and trying to. But yeah, the focus right now is on us with electric cars. We've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, there is a challenge out there because I know the 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 automobile companies are going crazy with uh with battery plants. Uh, Ford has got a big presence in Tennessee and Kentucky, cranking out those vehicles. And you gotta wonder where are we with the charging stations? I know the the infrastructure and jobs at put a lot of money there, but uh, is it going to be quick enough? I, I guess we'll find out in the not too distant future. Tom Hansen joining us on our live line from the West Coast, business manager, IBW Local 302. Any parting words for our audience, Tom? No, just uh, we need to stick together and work together to keep the middle class in one place. I think we're heading kind of in the wrong direction in Washington. I know the uh, president has done as best he can, but now the Congress has been taken over by people who don't believe in what we believe in. So I think... We need to just stick together and hold together until we can get through this. Stay strong and stay safe at the same time. You take care, brother. Keep in touch, all right? Thank you. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we'll check in with the National Treasury Employees Union and the latest from the UE, the United Electrical Workers Union. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.